0: John Piper, as I grab a stool for my Bible, John Piper writes in his book, Spectacular Sins and Their Global Purpose for the Glory of Christ. Now, that's a book title for you. But he writes that the most spectacular sin that has ever been committed in the history of the world is the brutal murder of Jesus Christ, the most perfect, or the morally perfect, infinitely worthy, divine Son of God. And probably the most despicable act in the process of this murder was the betrayal of Jesus by one of his closest friends, Judas Iscariot. So now, if that is indeed the most spectacular sin in the history of mankind, and honestly, who am I to argue with Dr. Piper, then perhaps the second most spectacular sin is what we see just a few, par- or few sentences down. Just a few verses later, when Peter, when confronted if he was truly a follower of Christ, Denied that fact. And these are only two of the sins that we see as we look at this passage. There are more sins that we see besides the betrayal, the false arrest, the mockery of a trial, and the denial by Peter. So what do all of these sins have in common? All of them serve to glorify Christ and accomplish the will of the Father. But before we dive into that, let's just take a moment and kind of recap where we've been. This is like part 532, I think, in our series of John. But the good news is is that we're on the home stretch, believe it or not. If you remember, John is broken into two books. Book of Signs, which is like the first half of the book, a little over half of the book, where we talk about Jesus' public ministry. And then we get into the Book of Signs, or excuse me, the Book of um, Glory, which is where we talk about the last week, if you will, of Jesus' life. And that's where we've been the past several weeks here as we've looked at what we term the Last Supper. It was Jesus celebrating the Passover. He washes the disciples' feet. He gives the morsel to uh, Judas, tells him to go do what he's going to do quickly, and then gives his farewell address, which every five seconds he's being interrupted by the disciples because, well, they just don't get it. So now that's all happened. That's all transpired. Judas has gone to get the arresting officials, and Jesus takes uh, his disciples to go and pray. Now, I don't know about you, but this strikes me as a little odd. I mean, Jesus, we see throughout this passage that Jesus knows what's going to happen next. And what does he do? He goes to a known hangout where people, I mean, he's known for going there, and he goes to pray. I mean, if I had a friend that I knew was about to betray me, and he was going to go get the cops and come arrest me, you know, I might, like, you know, hightail it to, you know, Canada or someplace like that. I'm certainly not going to go to, you know, like, my office and start doing my job where they would know where I'm at. But that's just one of many things I want to draw out here this morning for you, is that in this passage we will see two things that are going to serve as kind of the basis for our message today. The first thing that we see here is that Jesus is in control of all things. Jesus has authority over this entire situation. And in fact, he has authority over all the things that are happening um, every day. But in particular, we will see how he has authority in this passage. And then the second thing we'll take a look at in just a moment is the sins that we see in this passage. But let's look real quickly first at the authority of Jesus in his arrest. Now, the one thing I want you to understand is that this was not a case where Jesus was taken by surprise. This goes all the way back to chapter 13. We looked at this a few weeks ago. Remember this in John 13, 27, when Jesus takes the morsel, gives it to Judas, and he tells Judas what? What you are about to do, do it quickly. Jesus is not only commanding Judas to go do what he is going to do. But he gives him specific instructions to do it quickly. Don't dally about it, Judas. If you're going to betray me, betray me. Let's get on with it here. And so then as we move into today's passage, as I mentioned before, Jesus goes to a place where he was known to hang out, the Garden of Gethsemane. He People knew that this is a place where Jesus goes to withdraw to pray. Not to mention the fact that there's a very strong likelihood, although it's not mentioned in Scripture, there's a strong likelihood that Jesus laid out the plan. Okay, disciples, we're going to go celebrate the Passover, and when we're done, then we're going to go pray where we normally go pray. So Judas knew the plan. He knew what was going to happen. Furthermore, as we take a look here, we see Jesus, when they come to him, he goes out to meet them. I mean, get this picture. You've got a band of people, and we get this picture that it's maybe a handful of people. In the commentaries and such that I've read, Chances are that this was upwards of one to 200 people coming with weapons and torches. They were expecting a fight and they were expecting to have to search for Jesus. But Jesus comes out to meet them. Furthermore, Jesus then goes up to them and says, who are you looking for? He takes charge of the situation. And then I love this picture. Denny and I were talking this past week at message community. I just love this picture because he says, who are you looking for? And he, They say, Jesus of Nazareth, and he says, I am. There's that I am statement again. As he said, claim the proclamation of his deity. I am he. And what happens? They all fall down. As Denny said, you kind of get this picture of Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray up at the front. You know, who are you looking for? We're looking for Jesus. I am he. Boom, they're all on the ground. And then Jesus resets the question. He says, who are you looking for again? And they're on their back going, uh... Jesus? Kind of, you know, that that whole picture. of It's very comedic when you think about it. That Jesus is in control even up to there. He resets the question. He then commands, he says, I am he, I told you I am he. If you're looking for me, let these men go, i.e. the disciples. Not too many people when they're being arrested have the authority to give commands to the people who are arresting them. But Jesus does. And then Peter tries to take authority, right? He jumps out with his sword and chops off a guy's ear. Now, I don't know what Peter was thinking. I mean, chopping off a guy's ear is probably not a good way to, you know, stop what's going on. (laughs) You know, it's kind of that Monty Python-esque idea. Oh, it's only a flesh wound. But... You get this picture that Peter comes out. Commentators, again, have suggested several ideas why Peter chopped off the guy's ear. The one I like the best is that he was probably not a very good swordsman. <laughs> you don't have a lot of time to practice your sword play when you're out on a fishing boat all day. So I mean, that probably was the case. But Jesus, again, asserts his control. He says, Peter, put away your sword. Should I not do what God has called me to do? And then we read in Luke, it's not accounted for here, but we read in Luke where Jesus actually reaches out and heals the man. And then we, there's many more cases throughout the arraignment, that, which is a whole other message, and it's, uh, sometime we'll get Denny or one of our other lawyers up here to, to talk about the miscarriage of justice, although Denny said we'd have a lot of glazed-over eyes if that was the case. Um, but I want you to notice something. Jesus was in control of this entire situation. Nothing happened apart from what Jesus wanted to happen. Remember, he, he is just in control of this whole situation. And I want you to remember that, because we're going to come back to that in just a moment. But I want to take a look also then at the sins of the people that surrounded Jesus. I mean, we've already talked about Judas's betrayal but there's also, and we talk about Peter, but I think there's a sin of Peter's here that gets overlooked. Is that we look there, when Jesus says, let these men go, he is by inference telling the disciples to go. He is telling the, the arresting officials, look, you want me, take me, let my friends go. And he's telling his friends, i.e. the disciples, you can go. This is why Jesus said, where I am going, you cannot Follow but you will follow in a little while. Jesus told them, I'm going away, but I'm going to come back. And this is all part of that plan. And so Peter, being disobedient here, hops out, hacks off the guy's ear, and then hangs around and puts himself in the position in the garden. Now, we won't spend any time really on the miscarriage of justice or during that where the guy strikes Jesus. I mean, these are, honestly, it's a fascinating discussion about the the whole trial of Jesus. Um, but then we come into the part where G- or Peter is outside of in the courtyard warming himself and he is confronted and for the second and third time he denies Jesus. And now this is the point where we get the sermons that we always get, right? Don't be like Peter. Don't be like Peter don't deny your faith. Have more faith than what Peter did. Be like, be like Cassie Bernal. We all remember that name, the young lady from the Columbine Massacre, that when asked, do you believe in, in Jesus, she said yes and then was promptly shot. Be like her. Don't be like Peter. There's a problem with that, though. You see, I don't think the problem with Peter is that he lacked faith. In fact, I think quite the opposite. I think Peter had too much faith. Too much faith in himself. Today we're going to take a look at two ditches and the narrow way. See, there's a narrow way of being in step with Jesus in your life. And on either side, there are two huge ditches. And the first ditch is what we see here with Peter. We see a man who was acting but wasn't listening. You see, what Peter failed to realize about the master plan was that Jesus not only was in control of all things, but that control came straight from the Father and was part of the joint master plan of the Godhead, the Trinity. Again, do you remember? We looked at how Jesus was in control of the entire scene. Nothing, nothing happened as a surprise to him. I'll say it again. Peter's biggest sin wasn't that he lacked faith, but that he had too much faith in himself. Too much faith in what he thought should happen. Too much faith in his own plan. So where did Peter not listen throughout his entire walk up to this point? We can look at Matthew sixteen twenty three. Jesus has just asked Peter or just asked the disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter responds with, we say you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you're right, and begins to teach them that he must die. So what does Peter do? Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But then Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. In Luke chapter 22, we get a bigger picture of what goes on in the garden prior to the arrest. Excuse me, the arrest. We get the picture of Jesus praying and the disciples sleeping. And Jesus comes to them after he had prayed and says, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Before that, in John chapter 13, he comes to he's washing the disciples' feet. And Peter starts to argue with him. Lord, Lord, no, don't wash my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you're not one of mine. Okay, well, then wash all of me. No, Peter, you're not listening to me. You're not getting it. And then later on in John chapter 13, we read about where he says, Jesus says, I'm going away. And where I'm going, you can't follow me. And Peter says, I'll follow you anywhere. I will die for you, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, you won't. Not yet. Because before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. And then as I pointed out a moment ago, Jesus said, let these men go. And Peter hung around. He didn't take the lead of his master. Peter continually shows us that while he heard the voice of Jesus and he desired to follow after him, he didn't stop to listen to the voice of the master and what his instructions were. Because if Peter had listened and understood what Jesus was saying, he would have left. Let my friends go. And Peter would have said, this is a good time for me to leave. Jesus, now I understand when you say where I am going, you cannot follow. I'm on board with this. I'm out of here. He put himself in a position to, fall, to continue to stay out of step with Jesus. And this wasn't the first time. Peter consistently showed that although he was passionate about Jesus, he was not in tune or in step with what Jesus wanted to do. Now lest you think I'm just picking on Peter, I'm not. The Bible is full of examples of this. I've been reading through Genesis, and Genesis is full of people who are not in step with with Jesus and his plan. Think of Abram and Sarai, Abraham and Sarah. When they go to Egypt, do you guys remember this story? Abraham says to Sarah, he says, um, now, when they ask you, you are going to tell them that you're my sister because, well, if they know you're my wife, they're going to kill me and take you, for their, take you as their wife. So what happens instead is that they think, oh, it's his sister. Fair game. So they try to take her as their wife. And what happens? God sends plagues upon them. And Pharaoh says, time out here. What's going on? And then Abraham says, oh, well, okay, I lied to you. He was out of step with what God wanted to do. He thought that he knew better. His plan was better. I think Jacob did the same thing, actually, later on in Genesis. Like, we don't learn from our mistakes. What about Jonah? You guys know Jonah? Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Really, God? You want me to go to, to where? The Ninevites? The Ninevites? They're not worthy of you. Yeah, well, I know they're not, but I'm going to bless them anyway. (laughs) No, you're not, God, because I'm not going to go there. I'm going someplace completely to the opposite side of the world and end up in a really bad storm and in the belly of a whale and then spit out on land and I'll go to Nineveh. Anyway, but Jonah wasn't in step either. And we are no different. How many times do we stand back and ask God for peace about a decision that we have made without even bothering to talk to God about that decision to begin with? We don't stop and listen to what God has to say. We're out charging out in front and kind of looking, Hey, God, um, I, just give me a little peace about this. Hey, God, I, I just need a hand with this. So now, that's ditch one. And now you're saying, okay, Tom, I get it. I need to slow down. I need to listen to God more. I will now wait until I am 100% sure before I make any decision. I will wait for God to make his will perfectly clear for me before I move on. No. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying at all. You see, the opposite danger, the opposite ditch is to sit back and wait for God to paint us a picture, to, to put it in skywriting, so that all can see, to make sure that we're 100% in step with him. That's the temptation, and I say that is not the way we're to operate. Scripture tells us that we are to take steps on faith. And if we take this text in isolation, then we're tempted to, to misapply it, and to teach what we have taught so many times over the years. And that is not the point. Because ultimately, our mistakes, even when we do get out in front, they're not going to derail God's plan. You see, the danger is is that we're so afraid that we're going to make a mistake, or we're so afraid that what God asks of us is going to be too costly, that we don't listen and we don't obey. I mean, we've all heard the call of God. We've read the scriptures, right? And they say to us, what? We're to help widows and orphans. We're to feed the hungry. We're to proclaim the gospel to the outermost parts of the world. God is a father and we are his children. And it's no different than you as a parent when you have a child. I have a nine-year-old. You know this, Joe? He's not here today, so I can make fun of him. So I say to Joe, go clean your room. Okay. Three hours later, I look in. His room is worse than it was before I sent him in there to clean it up. I'm like, Joe, I thought I asked you to clean up your room. You did. Why aren't you doing it? It's not like I asked you to go scale Mount Everest. I just asked you to pick up your Legos. All right, buddy? And we're the same way with God. It comes in one ear, it rattles around in our head, and it falls out the other side. We are so afraid that we might that we hinder our effectiveness for the kingdom because we're afraid we're going to either mess it all up or what it might be asked. This danger does exist. I'm not just using examples in life. James one twenty two says, "But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves." Romans 2.13 says, For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Matthew 7.21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And John 13.17 says, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Don't let fear of making a mistake stop you from doing what God has called you to do in your life. I mean, look at Peter. How bad did Peter mess everything up? Just in this case, how bad did Peter try to mess everything else? And God did not allow Peter's mistake to hinder his plans. I'm going to spoil the rest of the story for you. Jesus still goes and dies on a cross to pay for the sins of the world so that whoever would humble themselves and repent of those sins can have eternal life and a restored relationship with the Father. Now, you'll just have to come back and hear us preach through the rest of those messages. But the fact remains is that God's plan will happen. Peter's mistake didn't derail it. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those that are called according to his purpose. See, there's a tension here. And it's it's a little hard to explain. But there's a tension here is that, yes, God is sovereign. But it doesn't absolve us of our responsibility to do what he commands. In our life group, we've been uh, working through a a great book called Gospel Center Parenting. Uh, by William Farley. And I I highly recommend the book. It's been fantastic. Um, But he talks about this tension of God's sovereignty but parental responsibility. And so I think it's very applicable. I want to read uh, just a little bit from that book to you right now. He writes, God is sovereign, but parents are responsible. God's sovereignty is our hope. Parents are utterly dependent on God. He, being God, God can save any child no matter how dark the circumstances. On the other hand, God normally reaches children through their parents. It is fatal to presume upon God's sovereignty by neglecting parental faithfulness. Yet it is also a mistake to assume that it all depends upon us because it doesn't. In fact, none of your efforts will prevail unless God bestows the gift of faith on your children. We are utterly dependent and responsible at the same time. And that brings us to the narrow way. And I chose this phrase, the narrow way, because Jesus uses it. Narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. So if on one side we have doing but not listening, and on the other side we have listening but not doing, the narrow way? is listening and doing. The narrow way is to listen to what God is saying while we are moving and doing his work. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Psalm 119 says, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. So there's this idea, there's this active relationship when we are in step with what God is doing of us walking and listening. So we walk, i.e. we are active, we're doing what God has called us to do, and we're living by faith. We are listening to God. This is the whole idea of the book of James. In like three verses, James lays it out for us. In James chapter 2, verse 17, he tells us that faith without works is dead. But just two verses later, in verse 19, he says that works without faith is demonic. Because even the demons believe and they shudder. So how does this play out in real life? Well, we've picked on Peter a lot today. Let's give Peter some props, okay? Peter actually does get this idea. In Acts chapter 10, Peter's hungry, okay? And I can relate to that because I'm hungry a lot. And so Peter is waiting for dinner to get prepped. And he goes into a trance. And God pulls back a sheet, and there's all these animals, clean and unclean. And Peter, and, and God tells Peter, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. And Peter starts to go back to his old ways. Wait, 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 God. Um, I've never eaten anything unclean in my life. And God says to Peter, Peter, what I have made, you're not to call unclean. And then Peter comes out of the trance. He's not quite sure what's going on. He doesn't understand. But he gets a call to go speak to a Gentile centurion. And Peter goes. He goes on faith. And he speaks. And many Gentiles like, I understand now that Jesus is not just for the Jews, but for the Gentile as well. But Peter was moving and active, but listening to God's leading. The second example I want to give to you real real quickly is what we as a church body are doing in the Middle East. We go to participate with what God is sovereignly doing in that nation. God, I can tell you, is working there. There are people who are coming to Christ. And it's exciting. I, I'm Thrilled about it. But we go in step with God. We don't go on our own plans. We don't go stupidly. We're not going with bullhorns and soapboxes and signs that say Allah is not God. Okay? We're not handing out tracts everywhere we go. But we go boldly. We share the gospel. As God opens the door, we share the gospel. If you had told me two years ago that I would sit in a house in the Middle East talking to a Muslim and tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ, I would have called you a liar. Because that just doesn't make sense. So I walk this path with you. I understand. And I know people say, you know, something bad could happen to you. It's dangerous. David Platt writes in his book, Radical, what if danger is what defined us as believers and as a church? We don't think like this. We say things such as the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. We think that if it's dangerous, God must not be in it. If it's risky, if it's unsafe, if it's costly, then it must not be God's will. But what if these factors are actually the criteria by which we determine something is God's will? What if we began to look at the design of God's will as the most dangerous option before us? What if the center of God's will is in reality the most unsafe place for us to be? Because you see, I think the thing that hinders us the most is our own pride. The thing that hinders us from keeping our lives in step with Christ is pride. The pride that says we know better than God. That's what caused Peter to stumble. He pulls Jesus aside to rebuke him. Hello, you're talking to the Son of God, the Messiah. Um, But you're wrong on this part here, you know, Mr. Messiah. I mean, the audacity to think my plan is better than his. Go all the way back to the garden. They didn't believe God. They didn't trust God's plan. So they fell out of step with God. And they sinned. They took the fruit and they ate it. So often, we fall out of step with what God wants us to do because we think we have to improve upon his plan. That's why we are who we are at Waukee Community Church, because we understand at the core, we don't need to improve upon God's plan to build his church and to reach the nations. He calls it the Great Commission. I'll sum it up for you pretty simply. It's preach, teach, baptize, repeat. It's a simple plan. It's found right here. This is the final authority that we need for everything in our lives. We're the ones that think that we have to always come out and improve on it with flashing lights and smoke machines. But the solution to that is to live humbly with your God. It's humility. Because humility says, I don't have all the answers. But God does. Humility says, God's ways are better than my ways. Guys, this is not a... Sin less, pray more, read your Bible more message. Those are good things. I encourage you to do those. But none of those things matter if you do them on your own strength. You can sin less all you want. You can pray more all you want. You can read your Bible more all you want. But if you're doing it on your own strength, it doesn't matter. But when we humble our lives to the authority of Christ and we appeal to the finished work on the cross and ask the Holy Spirit to come and dwell within us, then we are in step with him. Guys, humility says, if God can use a flawed fisherman like Peter, he can sure use me. Let's wrap up with this thought. Although Peter thought so, Jesus doesn't need us to protect him. Jesus is a big boy. He could take care of himself. He willingly laid down his life so that all those who would humble themselves, repent of their sins, and profess him as Lord would be able to have a restored relationship with the father and have eternal life. Nothing catches Jesus off guard. Likewise, though, Jesus doesn't need us to obey him because the will of God still happened, right? Peter was disobedient here, but the will of God still happens. Peter's disobedience and stumbling didn't mess things up. So what Jesus desires for us is to be in step with him by relentlessly pursuing the Father. When we stumble, we confess our sins and we move on. We trust that God is sovereign over all things. And we know that we can't derail God's plan. Humility and submission says that our joy is complete, not when we get credit for doing a good job, but when we hear those words from our Savior, well done, our good and faithful servant. Well done, my good and faithful servant. So the question boils down to this. You're going to follow somebody's plan for your life. You're going to be in step with some plan. Whose plan are you going to be in step with? Are you going to be in step with your plan or within God's plan. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you that despite the fact that we are sinful people, that you love us. And I thank you that despite the fact that we are that we blow it all the time, that you still use us. Father, I know that you have a magnificent plan for Waukee. I know that you have a magnificent plan for the outermost parts of the world. Father, we confess today that we want to be a part of that. So I pray that we would be active and moving and that we would be humbly listening that while we move and we go and we serve, that we don't get so far out in front that we trust our plans and not yours, but that we're so, we don't lag so far behind that we don't do what you've called us to do for fear of messing everything up. I thank you that you choose to involve us in your work because then someday we can praise you all the more for what you've done. We thank you, and we love you, and we love Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.